Well, good morning once again. Um, again, I'm excited to be here with you this morning, um, sharing this passage. Um, this was a sermon that I shared uh, to Presbytery when I was working on my licensing exam, so I'm honored to also share it with you this morning. A few years ago, Ann and I were um, blessed to be given the opportunity to serve for a summer in Cambodia. And we served in different ways uh, based on um, our backgrounds. Anna served mainly through medical aid, um, helping out the village people through treatments and vaccines and shots. And I was mainly um, at the University of Bonambang doing campus evangelism. And that was, like, we're really grateful. It was just a short summer uh, serving opportunity, but man, like, we were really blessed to be, to have had that opportunity to go. And, you know, Cambodia, um, I know some of you have gone to Southeast Asia or just um, East Asia, but there's definitely a lot of culture shock when you go to a new country. Um, for me, there were many different avenues uh, for culture shock, from the food, to the language, the clothing, to the mannerisms, but I think my biggest culture shock was the religiosity um, of the people of Cambodia and looking at their statues and idols wherever I went. See, I would see statues of the snake god Naga or of the Hindu god Vishnu or of Buddha, um, just statues that you don't normally see here on the border. Um, and it was interesting to learn about them I would say probably my favorite one was um, Mr. Bonambang, which was just, his name is great. And also, <laughs> he was this giant man just sitting um, in the middle of the city of Bonambang. Um, and it was the deity that would protect um, the city. And I like looking at them because as I would look at all these statues, I would think back to um, the Jesus statue at Mount Cristo Rey. And it would just make me think about, man, like, these guys, if they were to come to El Paso, they will probably be shocked too. But I think just the biggest thing was definitely looking back home. As I would look at these guys, I would look back home, look back to the Mount Cristo Rey, like thinking back to the Mount Cristo Rey statue. So just this memory makes me think of this text. You see, when Jesus was walking with his disciples um, through Caesarea Philippi, this city, uh, Caesarea Philippi, was known for its variety of idols throughout time. Um, Caesarea Philippi was a city that, since ancient times that had different gods, no matter who was, um, who was residing in that land. It was known for its worship of the Canaanite god Baal. It was also known for the worship of the Greek god Pan, and later on, the Roman Caesar. And I can just imagine Jesus with his disciples walking in the middle of town, looking at all these statues. And then Jesus turns around and asks them one question, followed by a deeper question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? But then he asks, who do you say that I am? And I think it's important to look at this text because in the midst of idols that surround us, who do we say Christ is? 
So let's go back, you know, let's talk about the first question. It is pretty general, it is pretty broad. Um, who do people say that the Son of Man is? If you don't know this by now, uh, that's a name that Jesus will give himself a lot. So when Jesus says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Literally what he's asking is, what are people saying about me? And it's interesting the way the apostles replied. Um, they responded based on what they would hear the crowd saying about Jesus. Well, some say John the Baptist, yet others say Elijah, or maybe Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. Why did the apostles, like, why were the crowds saying those things? Did they not know who Jesus was? Like, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus, like, that's, did, did they not know that they're two different people? Well, keep in mind that during that time, people did not have internet or social media. Um, so they, some of these guys have never seen Jesus or John the, John the Baptist. And so for them... They were answering based, <clears throat> based on what they heard from word of mouth. Um, some people had heard about John the Baptist. They didn't know much. Maybe this Jesus fellow is John the Baptist. We don't know. But nevertheless, you cannot doubt that Jesus was trending am among the people of that time. Hashtag Jesus, right? So um, he was definitely trending. And now let's think about the crowds is answers. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, maybe a new prophet. These aren't bad answers. In fact, they're good answers. The problem is they're not right answers, if that makes sense. Um, they're not right answers. You see, Jesus is indeed a prophet. The book of Hebrews Jesus himself throughout the Gospels reminds us that he is a prophet. People acknowledge him as that. I love, you know, and it's important to understand that Jesus did have, one of his roles was definitely a prophet. In fact, I love the way the 24th question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism explains this, that he is a prophet in the way that he reveals to us the will of God um, by his word and power. His word and spirit. And it's important to understand that he definitely does work. He takes a role as, um, as a prophet. But here's the problem. Not only was he a prophet, he was more than that. And that's what Jesus is trying to make the crowds and more importantly his disciples understand. That he is not only just a mere prophet, but he is more than that. Which is where we follow with the sec where he follows with the second question. But who do you say that I am? See, this question is a more personal question. This is not just a broad, what are people saying about me? But rather, who, what are you saying about me? To answer this, you cannot just answer this um, generically. You really have to think about what you're going to answer. One of the things that I love um, about RUF is when we have Bible studies, it's always great to have students think about words that they have normally heard their whole life at church and then now finally having them to hear about it, like having them to think about it. 
In fact, let me share the story with you. Andrew. On our second Bible study, maybe second or third Bible study in the semester, we were doing a study on repentance, and the student said that in his 19 years of growing up in church, he had never asked himself what repentance was. He just heard it, but he never actually asked that. So there's a difference between just hearing an answer and thinking about that answer. And I want you guys to understand that. So, who do you say that I am? Thinking and observation must be involved to answer this. Now Peter, whether it was on behalf of the apostles or not, responds in this way. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whether Peter fully understood this or not, which we'll see later in this chapter that he indeed does not fully comprehend this, what Peter said here was phenomenal. He didn't just say, yes, you are a prophet indeed. Rather, he says, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior who came to redeem us. But not only that, you are also the Son of God, the Son of the living God. Here what Peter is answering is not just, you're not just a mere man or a mere prophet or just a Messiah, just a human Messiah. You are more than that. You are also the Son of God, putting him in the same rank as Yahweh himself. And that is phenomenal that Peter responded this way. To Jesus' delight, he praises him by saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Not only was Peter's response phenomenal, but also Jesus' praise onto Peter. What he says here is, what Jesus is saying here is, Nobody could have told you this. Only my father. You didn't get this from your dad. You got this from my dad. And I think that's phenomenal. But then he continues. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. That is a big statement right there. Not only is he saying, you got this from my father, but he is also saying, through this statement right here, through this declaration, upon this, I will build my church. And do you remember what location was this? This was the same location where there were all these different idols and different gods and different ways people would worship these idols. When Jesus declares this to Peter, not only is he saying, Peter, you got this from my father, but he is also saying, I trump all of these idols, I trump all of these statues, and upon this declaration, you will see this, and not even the gates of hell will prevail. I just think that's amazing. So, That's a lot. <laughs> um, this is an important chapter in Jesus' earthly um, discipleship because in the midst of miracles, healings, sermons, teachings, and just daily life with the apostles, 
this question would define what Jesus would then say about himself and what that he was supposed to take and how his disciples ought to react to this. We are approaching the end of Lent. In fact, we're approaching Holy Week. And this is always the week where we seriously have to ponder more upon the cross of Christ. So think about it now through the lens of the apostles that are, you know, we see this as a remembrance for the apostles. It's going to be a living experience. Think about this. The rabbi, teacher, their mentor, their beloved who has been walking with them for three years is now about to say some pretty serious stuff. How he is going to die and be crucified in such a way and then later to resurrect. Like That's a lot to handle. But for now, like for the apostles, that'll be a lot to consume. But for now, he wants them to think about this question. We're not going to get to all that. Right now, he just wants them to think about this question. Who do you say that I am? We do not have statues of Baal or Caesar, nor do we have statues of Buddha, Naga, or any of the Hindu gods like in Cambodia. But we are surrounded by idols all around us every single day, wanting us to consume from them. We may not have the statue of um, <clears throat> we may not have the statue um, of Mercury, the god of prosperity, but don't we worship our money more than what we should? Uh, we don't have statues of the goddess of beauty, but don't we worship our self-image or don't we glorify when we think that we look better than others? We may not have statues, but we definitely have different idols such as work, public image, GPA, or what about the many celebrities, athletes, board events, politicians, maybe your political party that you subscribe to might be your idol. Maybe you come to church only to network with people, making you or them the idol you're coming to carry. So the, there's a lot of different idols that surround us. But not only that, these different idols also influence the way we think about God, whether we want to admit it or not. And because of that, there's different voices that tell us every single day who Jesus is. But we still need to ask ourselves personally, who do we say Christ is? Does that make sense? And there's a lot of different voices today. Just how it was back in Jesus' times. There's a lot of different voices that want to tell you who Jesus is. In fact, if you were to Google who is Jesus Christ in less than two seconds, you'd probably get like around 400 million um, results just like that. But they're not all right. None of them are correct. Uh, some say he was just, again, a mere prophet or maybe a good teacher some say he was a liar. Some say even more bizarre things about him. And there are those that say that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. But how do we know this is true? 
who do we say that he is? Do we claim and trust Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God? If so, if the answer is yes, do we understand that this answer did not come from us, but it came from God the Father himself? You may have some problems trying to understand what that means. And let me just tell you, uh, that's okay if you don't completely get it. Because the Father is still teaching you. You see, like Peter, we may answer this question wholeheartedly and fully trusting in Christ. Yet we may not entirely comprehend this. Um, we may even be questioning our Bible knowledge or if we even know the right things about God. The good news, though, that we find through this passage is that Jesus knew that Peter did not comprehend this claim entirely. Yet Jesus still found the light in Peter. You see, later in this passage, which we're not addressing today, but we're going to see how when Jesus starts talking about his death on the cross to atone for the sins of his people, things are going to get a little rough between Peter and Jesus. It's going to be a smaller dispute, an argument, a conflict, where even Jesus calls out Peter. Peter gets mad at him, like, how dare you say you're going to die on the cross? And Jesus tells him, get away from me, Satan. Such a big contrast from this passage, right? But notice that, but you're going to see later on that still, Jesus did not kick Peter out. And he still died for Peter. He still loves him in the same way. Why? Um, even if Peter did not comprehend this, why did Jesus go so far for Peter? Because Jesus still found delights in a Peter that didn't, that didn't get it completely yet, but that was a visible work of the Father. Let me repeat that. Jesus still found delights in a Peter that didn't get it completely yet, but was a visible work of the Father. Amen. This Wednesday, um, for RUF, we're going to be reaching out students um, and sharing the gospel with them. Uh, we're going to have a table set up, and man, students come, they check it out. Sometimes some of them just come to get the masapanas that we give out. Um, but nevertheless, there's still some good questions that we always um, find. And one of the common reasons, one of the most common responses why these students don't come to Bible study is because they don't know, they don't have much Bible knowledge. They think that in order for them to come to Bible study, they should have some like, um, just kind of like some pre-qualifications of Bible knowledge and just them. Once they know enough or just sufficiently enough, um, they can come to Bible study and discuss these things. But Man, I try to remind them that the whole reason for Bible study is because we're all trying to learn together. We're not just discussing how much we know, but rather we're gathering to share how we can learn from each other. And most importantly, how Christ is with us as we're learning and growing together. And man, it's, so, it's always great when some of these students do end up coming and they end up growing. And there's always a delight in that because... Because I'm just saying this as a campus associate, there's a delight seeing how 
these students are also visible work of the Father. But that's not just at RUF, that's also here at New City Fellowship, at Christ the King, at every church that proclaims Christ as the Son of the Living God and the Messiah. And there's always a delight seeing this. Jesus knows that we will not be the best theologians when we first proclaim his Lordship. Yet he delights in the revelation of the Father and his illumination in our lives, trusting that we will learn more and grow more in his grace. The comfort that we have right now is that we do not know everything. This is true whether we are new believers or seasoned ones, whether we're at seminary or not, whether we just started walking with Christ a few weeks ago, we've been walking with him for years. We do not know everything. And there's a delight in that because there's always more to learn. If you're satisfied in what you know about Jesus, not wanting to learn more, then I plead with you, change that attitude because, man, you are missing out on so much. I plead with you, don't have that mentality. Keep growing, keep learning because there's so much that you'll be missing out on. I'm not just saying this to be snobby here and like, oh, you're missing out, man, but rather get to learn. Because the more you learn things about Christ, man, the more sweet the ar his aroma is. And the more you can taste how good he is. So he knows that we will not be the best theologians. But we do know this, that he who began a good work in us will complete it. You see... Two weeks ago at RUF, we studied how the remedy to grow and rest in Jesus is by abiding in Him. We can't just abide in our knowledge. Um, we can't just abide in that knowledge. We can't just abide in our works. We can't just abide in coming to church every single day, coming to RUF. We can't just abide in those things. We ultimately need to abide in Christ himself and why do we abide in Christ because Jesus called us his friends and as his friends he reveals to us the father's will why did Jesus know this about why did sorry why did Peter respond this way about Jesus because he's been walking with him and the father showed this to him in the same way as he walked with Christ the father shows us more and more who Jesus is and how he works in our lives. We can't just abide in what we hear from our friends or relatives or professors or Sunday school teachers or even our podcasts or our favorite online theologians. We can't just, they, they will not suffice. We ultimately need to abide in Christ himself through his word and also through fellowship. The more we abide in Him, the more we know about Him through the Father. And if you're still, you know, you may have idols that you are just struggling with, sinful struggles, just things that, man, you're trying to, like, just destroy. But here's the other assurance, this last proclamation from Jesus that he is building his church 
And again, think about where Jesus said this. He said this in the midst of all these different idols and gods. Jesus trumps any idol that will try to prevent the church from growing. He will destroy it. He will trump it. I don't know what idols you carry, but man, abide in Christ in such a way that he grants you the grace to crucify these things. Again, in John 15, 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Again, we have a friend in Jesus in whom the Father reveals to us his will for our lives. If you are in Christ today, if you cling to him knowing that you are a sinner, but that he is a savior, know then that Jesus delights in you because like Peter, you too are also a visible work of the Father. So take heart on this promise and praise him for now. If you are not following Jesus, man, I just want to invite you and encourage you to pray about who he is. Don't just seek what people are saying. Go to him directly and ask him, Who are you, O Lord, that I may know you? For God will not hesitate to give you knowledge. He will not give it to you with reproach, but rather he'll give it to you with gladness. James 1 reminds us of this. So take heart in this. Ask yourself, why is this important? And today, you know, if you do not know Christ as we do the Lord's Supper, I encourage you, Talk to someone. Um, who, wh- why should I know who Jesus is? How can I know him? But ultimately just pray to him today. Please join me in prayer.